Good morning to you. Thank you for your warm welcome again. Thank you for a lovely breakfast again. Uh, thank you, John, for leading us in our sung worship. And to Brian for, where is he? Brian, inviting me back again this morning and for being a friendly face on the door when I arrived a while ago. We're going to turn to scripture. Um, so uh, we've listened to some words from the New Testament already, which have described this wonderful grace that we receive as children of God. And we're going to listen to some more words of Scripture again, which um, mention this and consolidate it. So turn with me, please, to Romans. Romans chapter 3. I'll be reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. Righteousness through faith. The Apostle Paul wrote, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Thanks be to God for his word. Now, forgive me if I have to make a hasty exit at about 10.25, 10.30. I'm due to go and preach back at my home church in in, in Ashdead later on this morning, and it would really test the faith of the worship leader if they have to start the service without the preacher being present. They'll do fine without me, but uh, they're expecting me back there to uh, minister God's word to them. So I get the blessing to be in two fellowships this morning, and thank you for the the blessing it has been already to be back here with you this morning. It continues to be a privilege and a a lovely responsibility to act as moderator, whatever that entails, uh, for your fellowship in this time of vacancy between the ending of one ministry and the beginning of another uh, pastoral ministry. So thank you again for this opportunity it's providing me with. I have a couple of visual aids this morning. Those of you who were here about half past eight this morning probably wondered who the man was that turned up holding a branch of a tree and why he was bringing a tree branch and, and foliage into the church. Can anybody tell me what this has been cut from? What tree has this come from? Yes, well done. Horse chestnut tree. And isn't the wildlife and the natural world around us so leafy and so green at this time of year? I was looking for a, a horse chestnut tree as I drove into Addleston. I'm sure there must be some somewhere nearby. Uh, but we've got loads of these trees where we live over near the Surrey Hills. And a few years ago, somebody described this to me as a really good visual aid for thinking about Christ's ascension because I didn't realize this until recently but the horse chestnut tree 
is sometimes commonly known as the ascension tree. Why? Well, because you can see that the the blossom here um, is pointing upwards, and this is symbolic of Christ ascending back into the heavens after his resurrection at Easter time. And 40 days after Easter Sunday comes Ascension Day. Ascension Day is always on a Thursday, and it was last week. Last Thursday was Ascension Day. And so today, in some churches, is known as Ascension Sunday. And uh, this white-looking candle, uh, the flowers on the top, are rather beautiful. And because they point upwards, it reminds us of Christ ascending back into the heavens. And then these really big leaves here that come out from the, the stem, uh, they've got big fingers, haven't they? And if you look at a horse chestnut tree next time you're in a, a park or a woodland, uh, have a look at these large leaves because they extend in all directions. And this is a picture, I think, of Pentecost. Pentecost always comes after Ascension. And it's a picture of the church being sent out in all directions, horizontally. Just as Christ returns vertically, we go out horizontally and we, we extend ourselves outwards in all directions, taking the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ out into a needy, broken world. So there we are, the ascension tree, or more commonly known as the horse chestnut tree. Apparently in Bushy Park, not far from here, the Sunday closest to the 11th of May is known as Chestnut Sunday, and people gather to join in the tradition of celebrating the blossom on the magnificent horse chestnut tree, Uh, but it's also an occasion for people to gather, and there are Uh, military vehicles, marching bands, and Harley-Davidson motorcycles. So maybe you might find yourselves in Bushy Park sometime, but uh, have a look at the horse chestnut trees there as well. Now my second visual aid is a wrinkly orange. Um, This has been in our fruit bowl at home for about three weeks, so it's it's about time it got removed. So (laughs) I took it out this morning and it won't go back in the fruit bowl when I get back home later. Why have I brought an orange with me? Well, for this very reason. Because I'm going to tell you a short story. There was once an orange. This orange wanted to describe itself, so it said to everyone around it, I am an orange. I'm an orange because I am orange. I am not green. I'm not blue. I'm not white. I am an orange orange. This is what I am. But then another voice, wanting to describe itself, called out, I am an orange. I am an orange, not because I'm an orange in colour, but because I am round. I am not triangular. I am not hexagonal. I am not a star shape. I am round. I am a round orange. This is what I am. But then another voice, wanting to describe itself, called out, I am an orange. I am an orange, not because I'm an orange colour, not because I am shaped round, but because I am segmented. And if you peel me on the inside, you will find all my lovely segments. This is what I am. Then another voice cried out, so who is the real orange? You cannot be the real orange, can you? Then another voice said, 
Well, listen to this. An orange is an orange because it is orange in color. An orange is an orange because it is round in shape. And an orange is an orange because it is segmented. All oranges are oranges. And all the oranges went home happily and lived happily ever after. Because they knew that they were real and true oranges. And I think this is a a silly little way, but quite profound in some senses, to describe the cross of Jesus and our salvation that comes from the cross of Jesus. Because it's more than just one thing. It's justification, it's sanctification, it's redemption. All those long biblical words that end in T-I-O-N. Reconciliation. It's all these things. We need all these understandings of the cross of Jesus to fully comprehend the magnificence of what he did for us. So these ways are mutually true and they live together, integrated in celebrating God's love for sinful humanity. Each of these different models or words that we use to describe our Christian faith and the gospel are not in competition with each other, but they live together and they're complementary and each one of them illuminates a different aspect of what we believe. Now it was lovely to hear about the lovely to hear about the the three baptisms that you celebrated here a week ago. Priscilla and Dan and Chris and lovely to hear that so many people were able to come and witness their public confession of faith and uh, you've managed to dry off in the intervening week and I I pray and I hope that the the last seven days has been a confirmation for you of your baptismal promises and uh, the truth of what God has done for you in your lives And, and I really hope it's been an encouraging experience for you to witness three disciples of Christ committing their allegiance to their Lord and Saviour in a public way. And I think one good way that a person that has been baptised recently can really find that assurance in their faith is by thinking about some of those aspects of the gospel, like justification, like sanctification, like reconciliation, like redemption. These are all different aspects that come into the, the gospel that we believe in. So we're going to go through some of these long words, and I'm going to try and unpack them in a helpful way that we can apply to ourselves. Uh, Thank you, Gemma. So our second slide, justification, which can be reduced to the word justified. And somebody once said that to be justified means just as if I'd never sinned. The actual word justification takes us into the metaphor of the law court. Imagine a judge and the accuser and the person that has committed the offence or the crime standing in the dock. And just as the trial proceeds after a long, painful discussion, and just before the judge is about to give his verdict, in comes somebody into the courtroom and stands in between the judge and the person who has committed the offence. And the person that comes and stands in between them is a mediator, And he takes on the consequences of the offender's guilt himself. And he says, I will serve the sentence. I will serve the punishment. I will serve the consequences and live out the consequences of the person that has been in the wrong. And they will no longer be condemned. 
they will be acquitted. The offence that they committed will no, no longer be held against them. I will do it for them. This is what we mean when we talk about justification by faith. This is what we mean by being justified by faith in Christ's blood. Jesus has stood there in our place. He has taken that guilt upon himself. And it's as if we can walk from court free. Free from the consequences of our wrongdoing. And free to live a new life. On the next slide we have another picture. Jesus suffered God's wrath in your place and in my place. What do I mean by this? Well, let me give you a football illustration. When the referee in a football match awards a penalty, whether using VAR or not, it is because a foul has been committed inside the penalty area, which pre prevented a goal-scoring opportunity. And the team of the player who committed the foul has to suffer the painful punishment of a player from the opposition getting a free shot at goal from only 12 yards from the goal line and only the goalkeeper to beat. And the goal the penalty provides this great opportunity to score from the penalty spot. In a similar kind of way, Jesus took the penalty. Jesus took the penalty for our sin, for us. He suffered the punishment. He paid the price and experienced the consequences of our foul, sinful behavior. Or to use another football illustration, Jesus is our substitute. He took our place. He stood there instead of us, in our stead, when he went to the cross to suffer for our sin and to suffer momentarily God's righteous anger and judgment of sin on our behalf. Or to use a completely non-sport related illustration, because I appreciate not everybody likes sport. A school pupil gets a detention and the school pupil asks the teacher, can my dog sit the detention for me and suffer the punishment? No, nice try, said the teacher. It's got to be a human. Ah, so can my friend sit the detention and suffer the punishment for me, please, sir? No, nice try, but it's got to be you. He's got a detention in another room at the same time. And then Jesus comes into the imaginary scenario. He can see your predicament, that you've been a disruptive influence in class or cheated in a test or that you've bunked off school for a few days or a few hours. And he still takes the initiative, innocent, having committed no wrong, graciously, humbly, lovingly, sacrificially, takes your place, sits in the classroom for the hour that you were supposed to sit there. The teacher overlooks the wrong you have committed and you are grateful to Jesus for taking your place. This, my friends, is what we commonly refer to as substitution. Jesus offered a penalty swap. He took the penalty for our sin. His sacrificial death turned away God's righteous wrath and anger towards sin. Now, it's not that God lost his temper. It's not that God carried out some kind of uncontrolled rage upon Jesus when his son was crucified. But God's righteous anger had to be satisfied in some way. And Jesus came in as the substitute for us all in order to overcome our sin. And consequently, we are no longer condemned. We are no longer in debt to God. Jesus has paid the price of our sin. 
We see that quite clearly in the second half of today's reading from Romans. God did this, said Paul, to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So we have justification, which is a law court metaphor. We have substitution, which is a financial metaphor. Jesus paid the high price for our sin. Thirdly and finally, we have the slave market metaphor. And this takes us into the language of redemption. And so on our next slide, we have a picture of somebody who stood at the foot of the cross and the blessing of redemption. A slave in biblical times could be released to a new slave owner, but in order for that to take place, it would require a monetary exchange. A payment in money would have to be offered in order to release the slave from his master so that the slave could be transferred to a new slave master. A monetary payment had to be made in order for the ransom price to be paid and for the freedom to be experienced. Today the word ransom is not in common usage, but it does get used about kidnap victims. Just recently I was reading of a horrible situation in the country of Nigeria, sadly all too common, when last year a father's two daughters were traveling in an area which is a notorious flashpoint for criminal gangs, and they were abducted and held for 15 weeks and only freed after, a pan, after uh, the father paid a ransom. And I was alarmed to hear that the, pan, the, 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 the ransom price he had to pay was 10 million naira. Now, I had to do a currency converter to find out how much that is in pounds sterling, but it translates as 19,000 pounds. He had to pay the equivalent of 19,000 pounds for his two daughters to be released from their kidnapper. And he said when he confronted um, the men and was confronted by the, the men who were threatening their lives, he had no choice. He had no choice other than to have to offer the cash payment in order for the, his daughters to be freed. Since 2011, kidnappers have collected at least 14 million pounds from their victims. Families of kidnapped victims often sell their property or take loans out from banks or try and raise the funds through crowdfunding just to get their family released and back again. A controversial bill is currently being discussed in Nigeria to criminalise ransom payments in order to curb the country's spiralling and lucrative kidnapping industry. It's a horrible situation. Thank God we don't experience that here in the same way. But in spiritual terms... It's like we've been kidnapped. All of us have been kidnapped by the power of sin. The ultimate slavery is to sin because sin becomes deadly and has deadly consequences. But God in his grace and love and mercy wants to redeem us out of our slavery to sin. And Jesus pays the price to God for our redemption. He pays what we could never pay. He does what we were powerless to do. And he does it on our behalf, in our place, liberating us from the captivity we experience under the power of sin. Because of Christ's grace to us at the cross, we are no longer in debt to God. 
Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. He has paid the price of our sin. Jesus himself said that he would pay the price of our sin. He said in the Gospel of Mark, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In today's reading from Romans 3, Paul says, The redemption came through Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. This describes the truth that God in his son Jesus poured out his very life at the cross of Calvary. And it's because of the cross of Calvary that we experience the grace and the mercy and the freedom from sin. In other words, we are justified, we are redeemed, we are saved by God's grace. All of us know that we live in a fallen world and all of us carry in our own bodies and lives this this disfigurement that has come from living in a fallen, broken world. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ has redeemed us and we are being renewed in the image and being restored in the image of Christ our Lord. Now here's a cartoon for you to look at. The father holding the son on the left of the picture says this, my son was lost and now is found. The son on the right hand side of the cartoon says, huh, he'll probably get the top bunk too. Can anybody tell me which parable this is depicting? The prodigal son, exactly. I was reading recently an alternative ending to the prodigal son story that Jesus told. The actual ending is very familiar, isn't it? The father is filled with compassion for his returning son. The father throws his arms around his son, kisses him and celebrates with a feast and pleads for the older brother to come into the party. The familiar ending is very well known. It's one of Jesus' most famous parables. But this alternative ending goes like this. The son came home and met first his elder brother. He says to his older brother, Is father still speaking to me? The son is anxious. And the brother says, Well, he is still very upset, but if you like, I will go and put a word in for you and see if that will help. After a while, he returns and says, The news is not good, brother. He has not really got over what you have done to him, but I have pleaded for you. And for my sake, he is prepared to let you come back on certain conditions and provided that you cause no more trouble. He won't receive you himself and all relationships between you and him now have to be conducted through me. Now, the author who composed this imaginary alternative ending did so not to devalue Jesus' original parable, but actually to highlight the original parable of Jesus to help us appreciate even more the original parable of Jesus to accentuate even more the grace of God. He writes that in this alternative imaginary ending, the father has been persuaded into an aloof tolerance so that the returned son is held at a distance from him and all gratitude is due to the older brother who has made the solution probable and possible. In the actual parable, as you well know, the returning son doesn't receive a second-rate reception he receives first-rate reception. 
and he doesn't have to go through his brother in order to relate to his father. And there are no specific conditions for this returning son to have to abide by. He is welcomed back freely, not as a hired servant, but as a dearly beloved son. And the parable expresses the enormity of God's great passionate love for us. Just a few weeks ago, many people got an email from Ticketmaster about the coronation concert at Windsor Castle. On a Tuesday in mid-April, many people received an email saying, Congratulations, you have, received, you have been successful in the ballot for a pair of standing tickets to the coronation concert on Sunday the 7th of May. Tickets in this supplementary round are being offered to a randomly selected group of ballot winners on a first-come and first-served basis, so you will need to act quickly in claiming your tickets to ensure you secure them. You have until 12 o'clock on the 27th of April to claim your tickets. Please click on this link and claim your tickets from the Ticketmaster website. And the email finished by saying, once again, many congratulations, and we look forward to seeing you on the 7th of May. That was at midday on a Tuesday in April. Two hours later, on that very same day, on that Tuesday in, in mid-April, two hours later, after the original email, another email drops into many people's inboxes, saying, the coronation concert now sold out. You recently received an email regarding your ballot application for the coronation concert. You were contacted as part of a supplementary first-come, first-served round. This event has become very popular, and all tickets have been snapped up. Now, looking at some of the comments from people on the internet after this fiasco, I discovered that some people had responded 10 seconds, 10 seconds after the original email, and still hadn't been able to secure a ticket for the coronation concert. Lots of people were left really disappointed that they hadn't been able to get a place at Windsor Castle. Lots of people said, we've been, we've been misled, we've been duped. The first email should have said, you may still be in with a chance. But misleadingly, it said, congratulations, you've been successful, which proved to be an empty promise. My friends, the hope that we have in Jesus is not an empty promise. The hope that we find through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ flowing from the cross of Calvary is not an empty promise. It will not leave us disappointed. The hope that we have is leading us into a kingdom. It's leading us into the presence of our King who is the King of kings who will be the one that we ultimately bow our knees to. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon um, coming up on the screen. I remember Brian telling me not so long ago that this church has some tenuous link with the Spurgeon family, which is fascinating. Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, once said, Remember that the Lord Jesus came to take away sin in three ways. He came to remove the penalty of sin. He came to remove the power of sin and at last he will remove the presence of sin. Notice there, the power, the penalty and the presence of sin. All these things our Lord Jesus Christ 
has overcome for us. The word grace, G-R-A-C-E, has been referred to as God's riches at Christ's expense. I found that a really helpful acronym, a really helpful way of reminding me about the grace that we have been offered and that we can receive. God's riches at Christ's expense. This is what baptism demonstrates. This is what baptism so powerfully communicates. Being plunged into the waters, and thank God you weren't left down in the depths of your baptistry. Being plunged into the waters, but not being left there. Coming back in newness of life to live out this grace in our lives. Baptism so powerfully reminds us of what is central to our faith. Our sins are dead and buried. We come out of the water dripping wet, but we come out as new creatures, as a new creation with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he have just lived a good life and ended up naturally dying of old age in a Jerusalem care home for retired prophets? Well, there wasn't such a place. And in any way, he came in order to live and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And he knew himself that it was leading to the cross. God chose that time in history because that was the time he chose. And that was the time when our salvation was proclaimed in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said upon the cross, it is finished. Which was a way of him describing the end of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. All those sacrifices that the worshippers in the temple once upon a time offered had now been fulfilled, had now been completed. It is accomplished as Jesus died. Our salvation was coming to birth. So let me finish before I conclude with a prayer. Let me finish by reading you out the words of an old hymn written by an American evangelist called Philip Bliss who lived around about the same time as Spurgeon but across the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Philip Bliss said in one of his hymns named Man of Sorrows, he writes, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Alleluia, what a saviour. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Alleluia, what a saviour. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Alleluia, what a saviour. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Alleluia, what a saviour. And then comes the concluding verse. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing. Alleluia, what a saviour. Let's all say together, Alleluia, what a saviour. And once again, Alleluia, what a saviour. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your Son, our Saviour, who sets us free from the enslavement of sin. 
We thank you that the benefits of his death can be made real in our lives again today. Help us, dear Lord, to take the reality of sin seriously. Help us to remember that our sins have been forgiven, that you provided a substitute for us, and that we have been gifted salvation from a saviour who obediently gave up his life for us. We thank you, dear Lord, that you refuse to let our sin determine our relationship with you. What determines our relationship with you is putting our faith in your Son, our Saviour. We thank you today that we are eternally alive and we are forever grateful for this indescribable gift. Through your Holy Spirit, confirm in our hearts today this glorious gospel that has enabled us to live with such hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.